Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome again to the Explaining History podcast, and today I'm going to talk about the American response to the death of Stalin. And it was an event that was met in America with no small amount of anxiety, particularly um, around the uh, President Eisenhower and, of course, um, the State Department and the CIA, all of whom were unsure as to the way in which um, Soviet policy would go next. Between the um, end of the Second World War in 1945 and eight years later when Stalin died in 1953, the Americans had spent some considerable effort trying to understand Stalin and trying to understand his um, motivations, his outlooks, his um, plans for the future. And the predictability that eventually emerged uh, in Stalin's world view um, that the Americans could interpret was one of the few methods that uh, either side had of navigating this moment of intense uh, tension during the early stages of the Cold War, by which time after 1949 both sides were nuclear-armed. The possibility of an unknown um, figure emerging to replace Stalin, possibly Beria, Khrushchev, Malenkov, or possibly even Molotov, meant that there was um, a great deal of uncertainty and there was nobody, no intelligence asset inside the Soviet Union that could inform the CIA about what was likely to happen. In Tim Weiner's uh, Legacy of Ashes, uh, he writes, Alan Dulles had been Director of Central Intelligence for one week when, on March the 5th, 1953, Joseph Stalin died. We had no reliable inside intelligence on thinking inside the Kremlin, uh, the agency lamented a few days later. Our estimates of Soviet long-range plans and intentions are speculations drawn from inadequate evidence. The new President of the United States was not pleased. Ever since 1946, Eisenhower fumed, all the so-called experts have been yapping about what would happen when Stalin dies and what we as a nation should do about it. Well, he's dead, and you can't turn the files of our government inside out in vain, looking for any plans laid. We have no plan. 
We are not even sure what differences death makes. In a struggle between two nuclear-armed powers, where we're not existing anymore in a, a multipolar world, but really a, a bipolar one, understanding the intentions of the other is a key part of preventing nuclear war. And once the monolithic figure of Stalin was gone, um, a great deal of the uh, predictability um, of his actions, however negative perhaps they might be, uh, went with him. And instead, uh, the president and the CIA had to rely on their imaginations to inform what might possibly happen next. Would the Soviets launch some preemptive strike on the USA? Would the Soviet bloc break up? Would there be um, a period of mass democratisation in the Soviet Union? Weiner argues in his book that Stalin in fact had no plan, no overall design for global domination in the way in which uh, the US projected this uh, fantasy onto the Soviet Union, rather that he sought to avoid direct confrontation with America. He tried to see during the uh, first Berlin crisis, the Berlin airlift, how far America could be pushed, and he was simply looking to establish a sphere of influence around the Soviet Union, a protective cordon, uh, whilst the Soviet Union rebuilt itself. And that the uh, grand designs that were imagined that Stalin was uh, involved in really were fantasies. There were obviously plenty of historians that would take issue with this view, uh, particularly Robert Galatoly springs to mind in his book Stalin's Curse, he presents Stalin as the consummate uh, political and uh, strategic mastermind who saw revolution and uh, spread to China and saw uh, was the, the kind of the figure behind the Korean War and also the um, dominator of Eastern Europe. Whatever the truth between these two views, it was obviously Khrushchev who uh, inherited as Stalin's uh, position as General Secretary and by 1956 had denounced him in the secret speech. There's a stark disparity between living standards in the Soviet Union, devastated by Hitler's invasion and the cost of reconstruction thereafter. By the time that Stalin had died, much of the country was still um, in a state of ruination and agriculture was yet to fully um, recover, not just from Hitler, but from Stalin's um, collectivization as well. Soviet spending on arms in this period uh, was considerable. A, a large proportion of GDP went on supporting the Red Army in its occupation of Eastern Europe. Ironically, the Red Army's um, role in Eastern Europe was uh, in part to asset strip formerly wealthy countries such as Czechoslovakia and what became uh, East Germany uh, in order to rebuild the Soviet economy. In America, living standards uh, continued to uh, ex improve and expand at a dramatic pace. The 1950s were an era of material abundance in America. 
of prosperity, of domesticity, of the development of suburban life, and really our many of our notions of the American dream of mass consumption exist at this uh, period of time, or can be kind of extrapolated from this period of time. However, the containment of the Soviet Union, uh, which was one of Eisenhower's chief policy goals, we're not into the phase yet of the rolling back of communism that we see under John F. Kennedy, but the containment was based on vast military spending. Eisenhower believed that um, nuclear weapons were in many ways a cheaper alternative to um, navies, air forces, tanks and artillery and, and ground troops, and that these, uh, along with um, covert forces, um, Green Berets as they emerged, and military advisors as they would eventually emerge in Vietnam, were going to be um, a lot more cost-effective. What emerges under Eisenhower is a kind of uh, politicised, militarised state, a state that uh, exists upon a level of a high level, like the Soviet Union, of permanent defence spending, where there is um, a, a gigantic um, defence establishment and defence industry, um, the two of which, uh, meeting at the Pentagon, overlap with one another and have all sorts of nefarious and nepotistic connections with one another. Eisenhower as a president was far more invested in the CIA uh, than Truman had been. Truman had, as we've talked about in previous podcasts, was quite sceptical of their use. Um, He had been dissuaded from uh, having any positive regard for them by uh, J. Edgar Hoover. And had, um, even though he had signed them really into existence um, in 1947 in 1949 respectively, uh, Harry Truman still um, had misgivings uh, about um, the, the CIA. Eisenhower saw them as part of his complement of tools to um, stand up to the Soviet Union, to stop the Soviet advance, and Eisenhower rather had fantasies of a covert war being waged uh, around the world. When the National Security Council met once a week and Alan Dulles, Eisenhower, Eisenhower's Vice President Richard Nixon, um, along with uh, Dulles's brother John Foster Dulles, Secretary of State, um, met and would discuss global hotspots, global points of, um, as they viewed it, subversion, communist subversion and trouble. And they saw themselves as uh, a body really waging a global covert war. So this was the first time that the kind of the CIA values of people like um, Wild Bill Donovan uh, and his contemporaries, uh, it was the first time that their sorts of values really had permeated the Oval Office. And in Eisenhower, they, uh, the CIA had a real enthusiast, someone that was uh, very much convinced of their merits and convinced of the, the value uh, of what the CIA could do. However, following the death of Stalin and realising that there were limitations to Soviet penetration, to a CIA 
penetration of the Soviet Union, um, Eisenhower was highly anxious that, uh, in his view, um, a surprise attack by the Soviet Union might be possible on America. On the 5th of June 1953, the NSC met, and Dulles um, told uh, Eisenhower that the CIA could not give any prior warning um, through any of their intelligence channels about the possibility of a missile attack on America from the Soviet Union. This is a huge problem. The faith that Eisenhower placed in the CIA took a blow at this point, and the belief that the CIA was a, an infallible system of intelligence relay was uh, fatally undermined. The CIA uh, had to rely on guesswork and best uh, fit predictions about uh, the Soviet Union's nuclear capability. Uh, they assumed that it would be 1969 before uh, the Soviets could launch an ICBM. However, uh, the missile, the R-7 Semyorka, was launched first in 1957 and had uh, 28 launches between 1957 and 1961, thus proving that the, the uh, CIA were 12 years uh, out with their prediction. It was 1953 when the Soviets launched their first thermonuclear bomb, or detonated the first thermonuclear bomb, shall I say. Um, again, the CIA weren't able to predict this. And this isn't necessarily a reflection on the CIA's spying ability. More, it is a reflection on the difficulties of establishing assets, um, uh, human intelligence assets, in the Soviet Union. So, Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Soviet spies in the West were easier to, uh, for the Soviets to run uh, prior to 1956 and then 1968 because many of them were ideological recruits. Um, the People like Philby, for example, in um, MI6, 
who were true believers. They uh, believed uh, that Soviet communism was a progressive force and that this, compared to Western uh, capitalist imperialism, was uh, more likely to offer yield uh, goods to humanity uh, than um, anything else. Obviously, uh, there was an immense amount of self-deception going on here and uh, it took uh, a great deal of effort for Soviet recruits um, in Western intelligence services to look at the show trials, the gulags, uh, collectivization, famines and the mass killings that accompanied Soviet actions in Eastern Europe uh, and not to see that as uh, anything other than a simply unfortunate collateral damage. But the, the ideological uh, mindset of Soviet agents in British and American intelligence meant that they were more likely to um, undergo the difficulties and the risks of intelligence work, whereas the um, Americans and the British found it much, much harder and it's not impossible, for they did have defectors, but they found it much, much harder to uh, have these figures within uh, Soviet or East European intelligence. Normally, the people such as Oleg Gordievsky and other um, Soviet uh, defectors became disillusioned with the Soviet Union f um, following the, uh, the uh, crushing of the Hungarian uprising in 1956 or the Prague Spring in 1968 and those two incidents combined with the general uh, poor performance of the Soviet economy, declining Soviet living standards and a lack of uh, freedoms within the Soviet Union created their fair share of uh, discontented and um, uh, jaded uh, officials. Uh, if you ever read um, the Mitrokin archive by Vasily Mitrokin and um, uh, co-edited, co-authored by Christopher Andrew, you get a very compelling picture of a KGB field officer come archivist who uh, was able to smuggle out 12 suitcases of intelligence material at the end of the Cold War. And this was a, a, a disillusioned desk officer who was uh, bitter about the Prague Spring and uh, its aftermath. The CIA's lack of intelligence uh, within the Soviet Union had some serious consequences. Well, it came close to having serious consequences anyway. Eisenhower thought, um, he, he mused with the idea, um, whether it would be advisable to launch an all-out nuclear strike on the Soviet Union before they obtained the means of destroying America. Again, this uncertainty as to Soviet intentions made uh, tensions incredibly high, risks incredibly high. We see this again in the early 1980s, with, uh, in the reverse, with Operation Able Archer, where a war game, a uh, NATO war game, uh, along the borders of the Warsaw Pact was so realistic that Andropov, as General Secretary, believed that uh, an invasion of the Soviet Union, perhaps a nuclear strike, was imminent and was preparing a first strike response. And it was only the urging of um, Soviet agents to their Western counterparts 
that there was, there was no joke and there was potentially uh, a first nuclear strike, a first strike from the Soviet Union against NATO uh, cities on the cards that led to the war games being rapidly scaled down and then um, announced that they had been concluded satisfactorily. Declassified minutes show that Eisenhower thought that, and I quote, the hour of decision were at hand and that we should presently have to really face the question of whether or not we should have to throw everything at once against the enemy. Uh, Eisenhower had raised this terrible question because there was no sense in our now merely shuddering at the enemy's capability. Um, it was unclear how many uh, thermonuclear weapons the Soviet Union had. Um, Eisenhower continues, We were engaged in the defence of a way of life, and the great danger was that in defending this way of life, we would find ourselves resorting to methods that endangered this way of life. The real problem, as Eisenhower saw it, was to devise methods of meeting the Soviet threat and of adopting controls, if necessary, that would not result in our transformation into a garrison state. Um, the whole thinking, said Eisenhower, was a paradox. A garrison state, that's an interesting term. So when Eisenhower was talking about um, meeting the threat of the Soviet Union without destroying the American way of life, he wasn't talking about the possibility of America being uh, tra reduced to a nuclear wasteland, but the fear that America would turn into an undemocratic, paranoid, hyper-militarised state, as all democratic societies risk doing if the balance of um, spending on arms and armies and uh, the means of defence outweighs all aspects of society. Alan Dulles argued caution. He believed that the Russians had the capability of launching an attack on the US uh, tomorrow, he said. Eisenhower said, I, I, I don't think anyone here thought the cost of winning a global war against the Soviet Union was a cost too high to pay. The Joint Chiefs of Staff agreed with Eisenhower, and they agreed that if American life had to change, if America had to transition from being a liberal democracy to being a warlike Spartan state, then so be it. In some of the NSC minutes, one of the Chiefs of Staff controversially said, we could lick the whole world if we were willing to adopt the system of Adolf Hitler. This is obviously hyperbole. Um, I don't think that there was any serious consideration of turning 50s America into a fascist dictatorship. You could argue that 50s America was highly conservative with a small c, but that and fascism ain't the same thing. And obviously Eisenhower, having um, been Supreme Commander Allied Forces Europe and had been one of the uh, signatories in the, uh, the the surrender of the Nazis wasn't really willing to countenance such talk. Eisenhower believed that um, a renewed initiative on the part of the CIA would help to rebalance the situation, would help not only to gather necessary information to understand Soviet intentions, but also would help to undermine Soviet satellite states from within. This, in 1953, uh, in June, was shown to be a, a false dawn. 
uh, in direct response to the death of Stalin and the uh, belief that there would now be liberalisation. The um, East Berliners um, went on strike on June the 16th and 17th. 370,000 East Germans took to the streets, not in Berlin, just in Berlin, but across the country, and there were um, riots uh, against the declining living standards um, imposed by the new communist-backed administration. Um, uh, Soviet um, and East German Communist Party buildings were burned to the ground, and Soviet tanks uh, crushed the crowds. There were um, this was a much much bigger uprising than anybody in the CIA had predicted. However, the CIA realised that they could do virtually nothing to help. Um, Frank Wisner, and we spoke about him previously, um, considered trying to arm East Berliners. Uh, And then um, he realised that this really did provoke the possibility of uh, World War III. The covert agents and covert armies that the CIA had tried to um, build up inside East Germany, inside Poland, Ukraine and other parts of um, Eastern Europe turned out to be uh, of negligible use in these sorts of crises. The uprising was crushed and um, Weisner said that the CIA at this point should do nothing at this time to incite East Germans to further actions, knowing that it would be fruitless and just um, give the Soviets opportunities to uh, crush as many civilians as possible. Quite extraordinarily then, uh, a week after the uprising was crushed, Eisenhower gave the order to create essentially an underground army in Eastern Europe um, that could launch large-scale raids or sustained warfare in East Germany and other Soviet satellites that would assassinate um, government ministers and this rather fanciful and imaginative initiative finally showed Eisenhower the limitations of what the CAA could reasonably achieve in Eastern Europe. The attempts to um, roll back the Soviet Union in Eastern Europe using guerrilla armies uh, that had begun under Frank Wisner uh, began to fall apart in 1953 and any ambition that this was ever going to be possible finally dies a death uh, that year. Um, Eisenhower calls a meeting of his uh, chiefs of staff, national Se- chiefs of national security, and the uh, whole project is uh, gradually, um, gradually ground down. The CIA would now, uh, instead of fighting in or attempting to fight uh, the enemy in the spheres of influence, the established spheres of influence of the Soviet Union that had really been agreed at the end of the Second World War, i.e., Eastern Europe. Now a war on the periphery would begin. This would be a struggle against the Soviet Union and communist expansion in Asia, Africa, Latin America and the Middle East. It would really be a struggle where dying colonial empires uh, created opportunities for Soviet expansionism, such as, for example, Vietnam. And a lot of the subsequent events... Um, of the Cold War that really involve uh, American um, subversion and American uh, counter-Soviet 
actions can be explained by this moment, this 1953 solarium meeting um, of Eisenhower, when the the head-on attack against the Soviet Union, the head-on covert attack, was um, decided to be a a non-starter, and the war on the periphery then began. Okay, well, I hope you find that interesting and useful, and I'm going to um, catch up with more of this in a subsequent podcast, as I normally do. Um, And if you can, please drop by our Facebook page, give us a a thumbs up, say hi, and a comment. Or if you can, please um, go to our iTunes page and give us a good review. That would be much obliged. Anyway, speak to you soon. All the best. Bye-bye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm-hmm.